Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's so disappointing. It's disheartening. At a macro level, I think these front offices are, are really ruining our game. Because you see that young man, boy, it, it, it hurts me. Because Snell is such a great young man. He does not want to be a chess piece. He wants to be a baseball player. Shut up, A-Rod. I just, I hate hearing from A-Rod. And that's the thing. It's not, like, this is what's bothering me. The numbers aren't the problem. The manager making a bad decision is the problem. And, Mike, I gotta, I gotta, uh, I gotta talk to you for a second. Because Mike and I were talking during the break. And Mike offered a take that I have not heard really anybody else come up with here mike um you're do you want to defend kevin cash here mike yeah i see a side of it like if you uh, i mean if the same if you keep bumping up against the same like let's say every time it's it, it let's for a week straight in january you walk outside and you slip on ice like you just fall on ice the odds it, of that are not very just good but i i, I all okay. right let's just say it happens three straight times okay the fourth time it happens even though it may be like 34 degrees you may think to yourself, like, oh, damn, the last three times I went out here, I fell right on my ass. I better be careful. Yes. And I think that that's kind of what happened here. Like, if you look at Blake Snell this postseason, he's great for four innings, five innings sometimes if you're lucky, and then the guy just falls apart. He, like, game two, this is the exact same situation that was in game two. It's just the Rays had a luxury of a 5 nothing lead that Kevin Cash could, you know, he could gamble a little bit with Snell there and keep him in. Um at that point in game, when he was getting to 70 pitches in game two, he had retired the last nine hitters he faced and had nine strikeouts. What happened when he got to 70 pitches, walk, home run, walk, single, and all of a sudden a 5 nothing game, the Dodgers had the tying run at the plate. Again, it was a 5 nothing lead, so he was he was able to, to you know roll the dice and leave him out there for a little bit. This one, it was a one nothing game, and if Mookie Betts does damage there, you know that's the World Series winning run. Their seasons, their season ends in three innings. Um, even go back to Houston Game Six. He was he was sensational the first four innings. Um, you know, raised up one nothing. They they knew they had Game Seven in their pocket if the if the Houston won, so they left him in there. And Houston puts up four runs in the fifth inning. That was around seventy pitches or so. Uh, the Yankees game. The Yankees. One of the games he starts there, he gives up a couple home runs in the fifth inning. This is what Blake Snell has been this season. He made 11 starts uh, in the regular season. Of those 11, ha- do you know how many times he got to 75 pitches? I do not. Five. Okay. Five out of 11. Okay. So, so this is not this is not like Randy Johnson. You just let him throw 140 pitches and just you know sit back. Oh, I understand that. I mean, we're not talking about 140 pitches. He had 73. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest here. And but, but the point you, is, he's not built up to do that. I, I get it. I get it. But you make the comparison about um, slipping on ice, and if you slip the first three times. But you also got to take into account factors like maybe you have shoes with better traction on that day. He had the same maybe stuff you, in game two. I, Mike, 
He was dominating. So he you, was last week. You you don't take him out in that spot. You can't. You got to at least let him face Mookie Betts. No, you, you can't. You can't to. be reactive. You got to be active. You got to be in front of this. It's you're down three two. I disagree. I I just disagree. So what happens if the Dodgers score four runs in an inning? Then you're in the same spot anyway. No, 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 no. Two. Uh, being down 2-1 is not You're the same as being down 4 You're going to take your starter out when you need 11 more outs, and he's cruising. He had unbelievable stuff last night. Unbelievable. John, John Smoltz. He's done that before. John Smoltz is tremendous as a broadcast. Tremendous. And John Smoltz said, this is as good of stuff as I've ever seen him have. As I've ever seen him have. Every Rays player, pretty much after the game, Kiermaier, they said they have never seen Blake Snell pitch better than he pitched in Game 6. The numbers might be similar, but I'm just telling you right, I'm what telling the guys they, who watch him every day said. Every, if they pulled him after five innings in Game 2, I bet they'd be saying similar stuff. Because he would have his line have been five innings, like two hits, nine Ks. It would be the similar line. It would be the similar stuff he had. Like he he looked this like he's looked this way all postseason. Um, I don't know if like you watch the Rays like he whoa, like he whoa, looks whoa. good like pulling out he, your Rays card are you? <laughs> like <laughs> this is what he he did in the regular season too. Like he'll have bad middle innings. He's coming. I think he had a, he had a procedure in the off season, didn't he? He had a bad last year. Um, you know, health wise, he's not at full strength. They're, they're managing with what they have. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can agree to disagree because I, I'm I'm just not going to come around on this one. I. I I, 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 I and, and have I watched every Blake Snell start? No, I haven't. All I can say is I watched him all night last night, and he was as good. He was reminiscent of Cliff Lee in game one against the Yankees in 09. That is what I saw. Yeah, okay. He was that good. Okay. Why did Cliff Lee pitch in the ninth inning that, that game? The Phillies were up 6 to nothing. They could right. afford that luxury. Right. They, like the, like It was a one one nothing game. Like Kevin Ka- And actually... You know, you go into the game, and if you're Kevin Cash, and you say, "Hey, we're gonna," you, the pitching staff will yield only three runs. Do you like your chances? He probably would sign up for that. Like they, the pitching staff, ultimately, the way he navigated it, did their job. Yeah, but kept them in the game. Sometimes you got to have a feel, and and well, the feel at that point was that the Dodgers hitters did not want to see Blake Snell again. They said it after the game. They said it after I, every nice single they can say one. That, but, every single one of them said it, Mike. Right, but, and the other thing, like I don't think this was an analytics move. Like I think his gut was as soon he saw as he saw Austin Barnes square that ball up and li- and crush it, not crush it, line it hard in the center field. That got his gut going, and it's like, oh damn, we've been here before. He said and he probably was, had, he probably had feelings back to the previous like he, three starts. He, he did said that. it was an analytics move. He said it was because this was the third time through the order thing. He didn't say it was an analytics move. He said that supported it. He said he was worried about the third time through the order. Yeah. And he probably had a, he probably had a knot in his I, gut when I, he saw that how how hard the nine hitters squaring him up. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a it's a overreactionary move. And hey, we can agree to disagree. I, I think you made about as good a point as somebody can make for it. I still think it's an insane move. I still well, it's not think insane. it was I think it was insane. I think it was a I think it was a really bad there was reason behind decision. it. Uh, there was reason I suppose so it, the numbers back it up, but not even the numbers. You gotta have anecdotal. A the, the, all right, but if if there's at least one reason to it, it's not insane. Yeah, I, I just I just don't agree with it. And all right, but it's not insane. Okay, fine. If you want to say it's not insane, fine. Um, I, I think it was a terrible move, but um, we can agree to disagree on that. I respect your opinion and I appreciate your opinion. Um, and I think we can both agree that analytics are useful. It just yeah. we disagree with how they were applied in that spot, or so, if they even were applied. Okay, fair enough. Um, 
So that's the Blake Snell, Kevin Cash um, debate. And I think that was a good debate. Uh, good, yeah, nice, good nicely done, you. Mike. Yeah, nicely done. Uh, we both argued our points. And uh, you can be the judge, if you'd like, on who, who won uh, our debate, whether you side with Mike and Kevin Cash were myself and Blake Snell. I kind of think uh, I'm in the uh, I'm in the majority on this one. Um, but now I want to get to everything else that happened after that game because it was a complete and utter bleep show, if you will. When you see what transpired as in the eighth inning, Justin Turner was mysteriously removed from the game. And at the time, the assumption amongst, I'd say probably everyone, is, okay, he probably tweaked something. They had to get him out of there. They don't want, you know, they got a lead. They don't want a guy who tweaked a muscle in his leg playing third, even though he's played a great third base. Maybe that's going to prevent him from getting to a ball or something. Can't take that risk. Uh, so they make a defensive replacement. Um, well, right after the game, before the trophy presentation, it was very awkward. They go very briefly to Kevin Burkhart in the studio. And Kevin Burkhart's like, breaking news, uh, yeah, Justin Turner got taken out because he had a COVID test come back positive. Now to the commissioner, Rob Manfred. And um, it was all very clunky and very awkwardly done. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there, and it's kind of processing my head as they're going to Manfred. And I'm, what? What do you mean he tested positive? During the game. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but he announces that. That Justin Turner had to come out. Because he tested positive for COVID-19. And uh, here was. After the game. Uh, this was following the trophy presentation. Right before. The MVP trophy was given. To Corey Seager. Uh, Tom Verducci. Asking Rob Manfred. Exactly what happened with Justin Turner. You had about almost two months without a positive test. Describe to me how that happened today and the success of getting through this season. Well, it's a bittersweet night for us. Um, we're glad to be done. Um, I do think it's a great accomplishment for our players to get this season completed. But obviously we're concerned when any of our players test positive. We learned during the game that Justin was a positive. He was immediately isolated to prevent spread. Okay, now as far as how Manfred sounded after the game, um, I don't know. Like, uh, people were, honestly, I, my first initial thought was, is he okay? Like, is Ron Manfred okay right now? It sounded like a stroke. Well, yeah, but uh, now, as far as that goes, people were speculating maybe he was inebriated. He didn't sound good, but enough TV people have said after that game on social media that the way it is in that kind of situation, if you're not used to having an IFB in your ear, the reverb in the stadium can be challenging. So I'll take them at their word. That that seems like a a you know reasonable explanation. And you know when you when you listen, Mike, can you pull up uh, seven real quick? Because here was Rob Manfred uh, giving the Dodgers the trophy, and it sounded much different. Rob Manfred, twenty twenty is going to be remembered. Thank you. 
2020 is going to be remembered as a baseball season like no other. Our clubs, and especially our players, were presented with an array of unique challenges. The Los Angeles Dodgers met every one of those challenges bravely. This is truly a team of champions. Now, everything sounded fine there, and that was, that was earlier. And I think what, what, what amazed me about that trophy presentation is that Rob Manfred seemed like, general, like genuinely surprised that he was getting booed. Like, he starts getting booed, and he, like, pauses for a second like he was, like, in shock. Is Rob, is Rob Manfred under the impression that he is well-liked? Is Rob Manfred under the impression that he is not one of the most despised people in all of sports? And honestly, uh, in a way, this MLB season ended in such fitting fashion. For it to end the way it did for months. Remember back, and it seems like a long time ago now. But I I remember coming on during the pandemic. And April, May, June. It felt like every night we were coming on here. You remember that, Mike, when we were dissecting Jeff Passan's reports every single day about the labor negotiations and when this season would happen, if it would happen. Remember Manfred on Greeny's return to sports special when he said, I don't know if we're going to be able to reach an agreement. Um, that, that, uh, and we rip, we would rip Manfred every single night for his ineptitude. Uh, do you remember that time? Yeah, those were the days when. Um, those were the days when if we saw passing on Scott Van Pelt, it was gold. Show, it was gold. Yeah, like from a content perspective, it's like wow, like we we got something. Here. We had nothing to talk about. We when we had a minute long Jeff Passing report. Me and Mike felt like we had hit the jackpot. <laughs> right. Like we, we did. We felt like we were, uh, we, like we were in, in a in a bathtub of riches. Oasis, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no matter how absurd the cut sounded. Like remember the one where he's like, we we were on that private island that Kim Kardashian and the family are on. <laughs> yeah, but he had the one of um. It's like, yeah, you know, we'll play 10 games a day in Arizona. The players <laughs> yeah. will be in the stands. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, we'll play this. Oh, I remember, yeah, we got that report in April. And it was like, there could be baseball by the end of May. <laughs> right. And we're like, all right, let's do it. Um, and But I, I just think back to that time. And Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred looked like complete fools. And then at the start of the season... With the Marlin situation, where you know they have uh, positive tests, where they're p- still allowed to play against the Phillies, and then the Phillies are down for a week, and the Marlins are down for several weeks, and then the Cardinals situation. You know they looked like fools and clowns, and the fact that they were so ill prepared was just beyond ironic for them to finish. At the same, in the same fashion. It was so fitting that as we mock baseball for their ineptitude and their unpreparedness for months, for them to get to the finish line finally and be at a moment where Manfred, I, he was ready to take a victory lap. I, I, I honestly believe he's ready to take a victory lap. And for it to end this way 
for Manfred being mocked and baseball to be mocked like fools again is so fitting. You know, what is going on here, honestly, for it to end in that kind of disgrace? And if you if you don't know exactly how it went down, they didn't get the previous day's test until the second inning of Game 6. What kind of operation do you have going on? It's like, it's like is George Costanza in charge of the tests here? Is is this Vandalay Industries they're running the test from here? Kruger. Yeah. Or not um, oh, what's Kramer's? Uh, Van Nostren? Van Nostren, yeah. yeah. Um, like, how are you not getting the tests from the previous day until the second inning? And then they, they say, oh, well, we might as well up the, uh, esp- expedite today's test. Then they get that back later in the game that conser- confirms that Justin Turner has a positive test. Oh, well, they're in a bubble. Like, how does this happen in the bubble? The NHL and the NBA did this flawlessly for months. For months. The NHL had... The NHL for, for what, four months in Canada. No issues. No positive tests. The NBA for four months in Orlando. No issues. No positive tests. What kind of operation... Are they running with Major League Baseball where they can't do this for a couple weeks? It makes me think that Manfred really had no interest in doing the bubble. He only did it to, you know, I guess kind of get some sort of praise for, okay, it'll sound smart to say we're putting people in a bubble, but we're not really putting them in a bubble. Like, how does that happen when all these other leagues do it right that you can do it so horribly wrong and find out mid World Series game six that you have a positive test. There was a little bit of a difference. Like, they did have, what, 15,000 fans? Well, yeah, maybe that was a bad idea. Yeah, but I'm just, it's not an apples to apples comp. You know, the, the NBA bubble to the MLB bubble. Right. The NBA did it right. Major League Baseball did it wrong. It's pretty simple. The results are fine. <laughs> Could you? What if the Rays had won Game Six? Yeah, then that, what that, happens? Yeah, yeah that would I mean, be a disaster. It, uh, I'm, I'm being facetious, facetious, yes, as I'm slurring. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the World Series ended as a super spreader event. Like it's, 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 it's not good. No, it's a, it's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. And then the Justin per- Turner part of it, and we'll finish with baseball for the year here. Um, as we started it, uh, you know, talking about all these COVID issues. Well, how did we start on the field? Well, what do you mean? Juan Soto tested positive right. on opening day. Right, on opening day you had a positive <laughs> test. Um, but the Justin per- Turner part of it here. Um, and I'll start by saying this. I understand Justin Turner's desire to celebrate with the organization. I, I get that he's been with that organization for a long time. He's been through all the disappointments and I had felt bad for him because I'm like, Oh, that kind of stinks. You know, you finally win. your team finally wins a world series. You're not able to celebrate out there. Um, and I felt bad for him. All of that, you know, pity went away when I saw him defy the isolation orders and go back out on the field because it's just so irresponsible. I get wanting to celebrate with your team, but have you been paying attention at all to what's been going on over the last seven, eight months? Like, seriously, it's a disgrace. 
You're still a champion. You're on the team. And honestly, if your teammates are okay with you celebrating with them when you get back to the hotel or something like that, I don't know. Maybe that's a better place to do it. But to go out on the field without a mask, not forget social distancing, hugging people, kissing, I guess, his wife or his girlfriend, um, his wife, wife, uh, just flaunting it in front of the nation. I'm sorry, you're a selfish jerk. Like, you just are. And I get it stinks that you can't be out there when your team wins the World Series. But like it or not, you are a role model. I know players don't necessarily sign up to be role models. But you are in that position. You are a role model. And what kind of example is that setting? Like, if you're Justin Turner, what kind of message... That's, I mean, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he he's one of these people who thinks you know it, it's you know not a big deal and whatever. Forget forget the pandemic, um, but it's selfish and it, it it's disrespectful to everybody who sacrificed things over the last seven eight months uh, to go out there in front of the cameras, defy the orders. It, it's disgrace that baseball didn't stop him from going out there. Um, and unfortunately, it's very emblematic of the way a lot of people feel in this country. And it's unfortunately why we're in the position we're in uh, more than not. is because a lot of people just don't care. And um, I, 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 I was, while I understand Justin Turner's desires to celebrate with his teammates in that spot, it's a terrible example to set. Like it or not, you are a role model. And it it's it's just not a good look at all. And um, I think he should be embarrassed. I think the Dodgers organization should be embarrassed. And Major League Baseball should absolutely be embarrassed. And we end this baseball season exactly where we started. Ripping the sport for how they have recklessly dealt with COVID issues. Ripping Rob Manfred for his irresponsibility um, in dealing with it at the beginning of the season and dealing with it at the end. And baseball, quite frankly, is very lucky that they got through all of this. So, like, what, where do you think Rob Manfred botched this? By not having a secure bubble. It's pretty simple. Like, mm-hmm. it, not having tests that come back 36 hours later. Like, where hasn't he botched it? Is that him, though, or is that his health officials? He is the one overseeing it. It's all, it all comes back on him. Yeah. It all comes back on him. If there were issues with the NBA, it would have come back on Silver. If there were issues with the NHL, it would have came back Roberts. on Bettman. It comes, it, the commissioner's the guy running the league. Well, it's like, both. It's, it's the commissioner and the Players Association come to an agreement of how things are run. I, I, don't, I don't know it's, that it's just Rob Manfred's fault that, like, you know, there was that this test came back undefined and then it came back positive later. If you have issues and ultimately you're the boss, you got to make sure before the game that you have all the tests positive, that you have all the tests back and everything's good to go. That's all the other sports are doing. I mean, it really shouldn't be that hard. If football can do it with all the guys that they've had and they have been able to maintain things without a serious outbreak, except for the Titans to this point, I mean, baseball should be able to do it in a bubble. So Obviously, you, they didn't put enough research into the bubble concept to do it properly. Well, and they wanted to get some revenue with fans, and they wanted to. No, I'm not yeah, saying man. he got he got it from a fan. Maybe he didn't. 
but they also and they wanted to experiment with it to, to get a, a layout for next year. Yeah, well, you don't experiment during the playoffs. Well, I, like I, I don't know. So why no blame for the players' union? There's there's blame all the way to go around. I mean, obviously, I just blame Turner. I think what Turner did was a disgrace. But in the end, it's Manfred's league, and it comes back on the commissioner. It does. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why you'd stick up for for your boy Rob Manfred. In this particular case, I don't think it's his fault that, you know, one stray player had a positive test after two months of no positives. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it is on him to get those results before the game. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, um, when we get back, uh, I do want to um, give you some news about the Eagles. We haven't talked at all about Eagles-Cowboys tonight. Uh, some encouraging injury updates. And one that I I don't think is uh, so great. So we'll get to that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Just going through all the baseball stuff. Um, That'll probably conclude our national baseball talk for the year. Um, And we'll talk about the Phillies if they do anything, but, you know, John Middleton, it's it's hard to do things during the pandemic, Mike. I mean, how can you go hire a front office? It's not like it's not like the team across the street has done that or anything. It's not like the Sixers have gone out and hired an entire front office and entire coaching staff and you know um, done done all the things that they want to do to to win. We just got to that, that's why we're saddled with McPhail and Clentac and Ned, and Ned Ned. Yeah. I mean, good old Ned. I mean, what's <laughs> he, he he's uh he was Ned's he was Matt's assist so him and Clentac have basically just flipped spots right they basically just swap positions I think Clentac still has a little more power <laughs> yeah great <laughs> uh, but you know who knows with COVID can you tell can you tell me if there are going to be fans here next year how much the governor will allow yeah um, if you do you know something I don't yeah uh, you want to just play that one real quick um, John Middleton. Uh, here's John Middleton on um, why he can't uh, sign JT Real Vito. We don't really have a firm tape timetable. I think. Can you tell me what 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 the governor and the mayor of Philadelphia are going to allow us to have next year in the way of fans? If you if you do, you know something that I don't. So I have no idea what we're going to be allowed, and obviously that's going to determine revenues, and revenues determines what what you can do and what you can't do. And that's John Middleton on why he can't hire a new GM. Just it's just great. Uh, well, Josh Harris who everybody rips, and uh, it's been justified in the past, but Josh Harris found a way to do it um, because Josh Harris wanted to. It's pretty simple. He wanted to upgrade his front office. He wanted to hire an executive who knew what he was doing. John Middleton doesn't care. He doesn't care about winning, and, I mean, that's why we still have McPhail and Clentac and why we will. John Middleton's a, a massive fraud who just wants to take your money, and that's all he cares about. Imagine the money he's saving by not having to pay Pete McCannon. Oh, he's loving it. He's loving it. And he's like, if I, if you know, I don't have to pay, I guess, Clentac. I guess he, because he might have to pay Clentac more if he'd fired him. I'm not sure how that works. I don't think so. I think he uh, just has two, is the two remaining years on the contract, right? I don't know. But anyway, um, John Middleton uh, looks even worse now after what the Sixers have done in going and getting Daryl Morey. So if you want to talk about the Daryl Morey move, talked about it a lot earlier. Um, I think it's a brilliant move, and I think this is a guy who is really going to come help this team and hopefully uh, 
turn this thing around. So we've been discussing that as well. But I do want to get a little bit into the Eagles here with Eagles-Cowboys coming up Sunday night. Not a ton of buzz around it, um, considering where the Cowboys are and the fact that Ben DiNucci might be at quarterback. Um, But some positive developments for the Eagles on the injury front. And, you know, I said the other night that uh, the guy that I think they need back more than any is Jalen Rager. And here was Doug on Jalen Rager and his status for Sunday. Yeah, Jalen, Jalen, first of all, wasn't in the one, two, three, four scenario earlier. Okay. Um, but Jalen's going to practice. Um, you know, he's going to be out there today. Again, he's another one. We got to get him back into the offense and, and just see where he's at. But, but yeah, he, he's another one that'll be out there today practicing. Now, reports are that Rager is expected to play Sunday night, that, you know, his issue was a broken finger. If that's good and he gets through the week fine, he's going to play Sunday night. And that's a big, um, a, a big addition for this team. He is their downfield threat. He is the guy who was supposed to take over that spot of Deshaun Jackson. And uh, John Hightower's been playing that role. And John Hightower has been productive at points in that role. You place him with Jalen Rager and even keep Hightower on the field sometimes, all of a sudden you got some speed. So that'll help. Um, Another guy who was surprisingly back at practice and a little more iffy for Sunday night, but possible uh, to be back Sunday night is Dallas Goddard. What do you do with him when he returns? Because Jordan Mulata has done a nice job and honestly played better than Jason Peters left tackle. Here is Doug on where Jason Peters will play when he's ready. Yeah, you know, first of all, he he um he, he's been cleared to return to practice, so uh that that's that's uh, exciting for us to get him back this week and, and get him get him in the uh in the mix. Um, you know, and and Right now, I think I think it's just a matter of him just getting out there and feeling comfortable again with the offensive line. We we haven't been real committal uh, one way or the other, but um, you know he definitely can help us at left tackle, uh, and and he's had the right guard experience. So he, he basically just need to see him uh, moving around today and tomorrow, and and uh, see where he can best help us. Now, I don't think he can help you at left tackle, especially if uh, he's replacing Jordan Mulata. Like if Jordan Mulata gets hurt and you need somebody to go over there, then maybe you consider playing Jason Peters. But there is no sound argument why you would play Jason Peters instead of Jordan Mulata at that spot. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Here is more from Doug talking about Mulata versus Jason Peters at that left tackle position. Jordan had a rough day Sunday or Thursday. How much of a concern was that, and, and does that play into the possibility of where you put JP if he's ready to play? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, you know, Jordan has, has really he, – he's filled in nicely. He's done a great job, and, and I think that's a, a, a bright spot for us, having seen him play and really play against some really good defensive ends or outside linebackers. And, you know, we do know, we all know that Jason Peters feels comfortable at left tackle, and, and he's, he's a veteran player if, if, that's, if that's where we want to play him this week and uh, even if he's, you know, available to play. And, um, you know, it's just something that uh, I, I think, too, with, with Jordan – um, again, the, the, the reps, the, the, the time on task is, uh, just valuable, something he can learn from, uh, as he, as he progresses and moves and moves forward. So, well, you know, it gives us a lot more depth now at the offensive line position. That's for sure. That's a very non-committal answer and it shouldn't be. And the Eagles shouldn't be worried about appeasing Jason Peters ego at this point. I understand what he means to the organization, but 
Jordan Mulata is a young player who you have spent a lot of time to develop. Jordan Mulata is a player who has played very well when given the opportunity this season. And it doesn't make any sense why you would not continue to play Jordan Mulata and you'd put Jason Peters out there, who frankly hasn't been very good the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, it gets to the point where, okay, if you're not going to play Jason Peters at left tackle, what do you do with him? Do you put him on the field at guard or, or do you sit him? And, and you know, whether Jason Peters would be willing, which it sounds ridiculous, but whether he'd be willing to play guard, here is Doug Peterson on if Jason Peters dictates where he will play on the field. You mentioned where he's comfortable playing, and it, it seemed at least from the outside looking in during the summer, he had influence in, in, in determining where he would play. As you make that decision now, how much is it based on what he wants to do and how much of it is, is based on the overall outlook of the offensive line? Well, I'll tell you this. One of the things that that, that I really appreciate about JP and, and where he is in his career is he – he um he understands where we are as a football team and how he can best help the football team, um and if and if it's listen if it's playing left tackle again he'll he'll go play left tackle if we if we ask him to play right guard he'll play right guard that's just that's just who JP is. Now shouldn't have to ask Jason Peters to do anything like that. I don't like how that's phrased. If we ask Jason Peters, no, you're, you don't ask Jason Peters, Doug. You're the head coach. Jason Peters is a player. Jason Peter Peters plays where he helps the team. And if that's right guard, you play him at right guard. I'm, I'm tired of this Jason Peters stuff. I, I, I hated what the Eagles did in training camp, giving him the extra money to go play left tackle, a position that he's not even as good at as Jordan Mulata at this point anyway. That whole part of it was ridiculous. Giving him a raise to play left tackle was ridiculous. Honestly, they shouldn't have brought him back at all. They really shouldn't have. They brought him back because Brandon Brooks got hurt, and they thought it would be a nice story for him to come back and play right guard and play next to Lane Johnson. But the guy is not any good anymore. And he is absolutely not good at left tackle. He should not play there under any circumstances. And Doug shouldn't have to ask Jason Peters to do anything. I don't think they're doing it for an ego thing. I just they need a right tackle, so they look at it. Who's a better right tackle, Mylotta or Peters? It seems like they're the way they're indicating it. They think Mylotta, and they think Peters is their best option is put him at left tackle as opposed to flipping him to to right tackle. You know, after what fifteen or so, sixteen years of playing left tackle, not the way I read it, Mike. Not, not the way I read it. Like like Lane Johnson isn't hurt because Jason Peters has an ego problem. No, but I, I what I believe is if Lane Johnson plays, which he very well could play, Doug said he could play, I think Jason Peters will play left tackle instead of Jordan Mulata. That's how I read it. Maybe. Um, then why'd Mulata play right tackle? Well, why'd he play right tackle? Because they're not sure if Lane Johnson will play. If Lane Johnson plays, then Jason Peters is probably going to play left tackle, and that's a mistake. Mulata should be playing. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. If you want to get on the Jason Peters stuff, you're welcome to. I think it's crazy that he's still dictating anything, um, considering the way he's played. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't put him on the field at all, but that's just me. Uh, when we get back, though, I, I, we've talked a lot about the Sixers front office, and we'll continue to do that if you'd like. But there was an interesting hire today on the bench. And uh, one of the assistant coaches, you probably never heard of this guy, um, but... 
there could be an awkward situation with one of the Sixers stars and one of the new assistant coaches. And we'll get to that uh, when we return. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Talking about the Eagles and uh, Jason Peters. Again, seemingly dictating where he's going to play. Which, yeah, that's just great. Uh, So, uh, discussing that, we'll uh, get to the Sixers in a minute. An interesting hire to the coaching staff that could cause an awkward situation this year um, with one of the star players. Uh, Some some history uh, between the two and Mike, you were, I guess, uh, present at, at an event where, where this, this new assistant coach was booed heavily. Is that right? By Sixers fans? Yeah. It caused a lot of confusion, but, um, yeah, it was, I mean, are you teasing? Well, it or, well, well or, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Okay. In a I wasn't sure I, yeah, what I was just, that was. Nah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but thank you. Uh, let's go to JP in center city. What's up, JP? What's going on, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, man. I want to talk about uh, JP and about the uh, Daryl Morey hiring. I'll start off with Peters. Now, JP, I, I just want to – you are not Jason Peters, right? No, I'm not okay, Jason I, I'd be I'd be scared of you if you were Jason Peters. I changed my tune. Right. Yeah, he might come down to the, uh, <laughs> yeah, to the radio station looking for you on Street. <laughs> yeah, I, I changed my tune if this was Jason Peters. <laughs> now, I don't understand it, man. It's just like for, for years now, it's been a certain faction of Eagles fans that have just had this grudge. They've had this this thing that's driving them against Jason Peters. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be anybody. Anybody they put out a left tackle, and they can get ran over by any uh, defensive tackle or defensive end, just like Jordan Mulata got ran over in his last Giants game, and they're ready to crown them as a replacement for Jason Peters. It, it, I, don't, I don't understand. He's done so much for his organization. He's held quarterback after quarterback down when it's actually mattered. Not regular season games, playoff games. Big postseason games. I don't understand it. People want to they, – they concern about how much money he makes. They can concern about who want to actually play tackle. I don't, I don't know what is driving people to want to hate on Jason Peters so much. And, and it's something that's been consistent over the years. I don't know why. Well, this is the thing, JP. This, this, this is my read on it. Is he hasn't been very good the last couple of years. He hasn't been. And Jordan Mulotti, yeah, he had a bad game against the Giants, but against San Fran, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore, three pretty good fronts – I thought he held his own pretty well, and he played better in those games than Jason Peters did the previous three. And if you have one guy in Mulata who is going to get better the more he plays, and another guy in Peters who's going to get worse the more he plays, not because of his fault, but because of his age, I'd rather play the guy who's going to get better with experience. Dude, Jason Peters has been solid the last three years. I don't, I don't know where people are coming up with this, oh, Jason Peters has been horrible. He hasn't been horrible. If he has been horrible, he'd have been cut. He would have continuously be getting re-signed. It's a big JP, nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted him in July. He was unsigned. No, no one wanted him because he didn't he sign anywhere. Leave. He didn't want to leave. He had a. He clearly had a wink, wink deal with the Eagles. He knew the Eagles were going to sign him. Like he, he never wanted to leave. What is the point of him leaving at this point? He, he's going to retire as an Eagle. He's been loyal to the Eagles. The, little, the Eagles have been loyal to him. Jordan Mulata stinks, man. There's not. There's nothing exciting about Jordan Mulata as a left tackle. He's not going to be a starting tackle in this league. 
Like, come on. How do we know that? Just, he's, he's played He's played th- three games. I just saw him get ran over by the Giants. He and looked the, horrible. The three games before that, he played well. Guys are going to have uh, rough it, games early got, in their you, career. You guys overreacting to those little three games. You guys may come out to be something because your bar is set so low. And then when Jason Peters comes out there, your bar is set extremely high. Anything that he does, oh, you guys are ready to jump on top of it. I, I disagree, JP. I haven't seen I've seen a guy who hasn't been the same since he got injured in 2017, and that's not his fault. And I don't I don't hate Jason Peters. I think Jason Peters <laughs> is a Hall of Fame player who should have his number retired by this organization. But that's what he did in the past. He's not that player anymore. All right. Well, what's a Daryl Morey? Okay. This this is going to be very very interesting. I, I give Elton Brand over uh, the Elton Brand over under is a year before he's gone. He's like he's clearly he's going to be neutered by Daryl Morey. Morey's going to come in and make a gazillion trades. He's going to he's going to change the the culture of that complete of the front office completely. I, I mean, I am I'm pretty excited to see what a combination of Morey and Doc Rivers can actually bring to the Sixers, and it's going to bring some accountability to some of these guys like Ben Simmons and Embiid with his weight, Simmons with his shooting. It's going it's going to the, the clock is ticking. Like these guys. They're putting the ownership clearly is putting a lot of money out for the front office and coaching staff, and they clearly expect a winner. And if these guys are go, aren't going to put everything into it, they're going to make moves. And I think hopefully the first move is getting rid of Tobias Harris. Yeah. That guy's, you're not going to win a championship with that guy as your third option. Well, JP, I'm not sure if you can get rid of that contract, but I will say if anybody can do it, it it's is Daryl Morey. And, yes. you know, I, I, I'm interested to see what they do. I agree with you on Elton. Like, I honestly think it wouldn't be a horrible idea for Elton Brand to stay here for now and maybe learn from Daryl Morey. And, he's not, you know, he's not Morey's uh, who knows? Of, he's no. not Morey's type of guy. He, who knows? He's the no. complete opposite of an analytics guy. I yeah. mean, I'm not a big analytics guy, but he's not the type of guy that Daryl Morey takes under his wing and teaches. But if you look at the guys that have come out of the Rockets, like the guy that just went to general manager for the Sacramento Kings, the the new uh, general manager of the Rockets, uh, the, the kid Rafael Stone, these are not the he's, Ellen Brand is like the old type of basketball thinker. He's not the the new wave of thinker, and I, I don't see more keeping on to him too long. Like I, I think it's clear he's going to get rid of him within the next year or so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, JP. I appreciate it, man. Thanks All for the right, call. Man. Take care. Yeah, good call. And I, 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 it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I mean, it, no matter what, Elton Brand can't be happy about this. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Um, Elton Brand was kind of, it was kind of sold as this is going to be Elton's show to run. Um, and if it re- if it wasn't the last couple of years, which it seems like it really wasn't, even if they said he was the GM and. I mean, I don't know what kind of power, if any, Elton Brand's going to have now. Well, who is it sold by? It was sold by Elton Brand himself. Right. Well, yeah. But now, I, I mean, I would venture to think Doc has more say over personnel than Elton Brand does. Yeah, I would think that this is just a spot for Brand to continue having a job. And when something else pops up he wants to pursue, I think the, the Sixers would support that. Yeah. And I, I think it could work out for all parties. And I, I think... Maybe he could stay here. I, I know he's not cut from the same cloth necessarily as Daryl Morey is. Um, but who knows? The last couple of years, it's very hard to really reconcile who had the most impact on those decisions, whether it was Elton, whether it was ownership, whether it was Rucker or, or Cohen. Um, so I don't think it would be a bad idea for Elton to stay and learn from Daryl Morey. And I, if Elton wants to do that... Um, I don't think the Sixers are going to kick him out the door by any means. Uh, but 
Uh, real quick, I, we talked a lot about the front office uh, stuff, but what I think is really um, interesting as well is what the Sixers are doing on coaching staff because that is gone under the radar, but Doc Rivers is building a really impressive coaching staff. When you look at Dave Yeager, who comes over from Sacramento, who was the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies and those, uh, you know, really grit and grind, grit and grind team, the Grindhouse was what they called their arena uh, in those years. Yeah, the Tony Allen or the Tony Allen Grizzlies. They went up two to one on was it the Warriors. And everybody yeah. was so excited, and then they got blown out by like thirty in the next three games or something. Uh, do you remember what Steve Kerr did? No, he had uh, he switched his lineup to have Andrew Bogut guard Tony Allen. <laughs> yeah, and then he started missing everything because he was so wide open. At yeah, um, he was a fun player that Tony Allen. Uh, First but, team all defense. Yeah, but Jaeger coached the Grizzlies, got them to overachieve, went to Sacramento, clashed with the front office and some players ends up out of there becomes the Philadelphia's top assistant and is a well-accomplished top assistant. And it's something that the Sixers certainly didn't have last year. Uh, as you can, Mike, you remember my uh, bemoaning of the loss of Monty Williams. Um, yeah, you wanted the, the, you wanted the Sixers to fire Brett Brown up two to one against Toronto. I did to make room for him. Uh, and you know, they had, they didn't really have that top assistant. Now you get Dave Yeager. You bring in Sam Cassell, who I really like. I would have, I I had said when the Sixers were looking for a head coach, I would have interviewed Sam Cassell for that spot, not necessarily give him the job, but um, a guy that has a ton of experience in the league as a player and a coach, uh, really went to coaching right when his career was done and has been with Doc Rivers with the Clippers. Uh, but, and Boston. Right, and Boston. But what uh, this other hire, might be the most interesting one because this guy has history with the Sixers. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Dan Burke, who was an assistant with the Pacers. Now, you might not know a lot about him. I don't know a lot about him. But if you remember, back over the winter in January or February, the Sixers were going to play the Pacers in Indiana, a game that, Mike, you were at with the, the rights to Ricky Sanchez organization, as they are called, correct? <laughs> Yeah, I was there. Uh, yeah, this is December. Okay. Um, and if you remember, they the, the rights to Ricky Sanchez was getting on this coach on the Indiana Pacers, Dan Burke, because he made these comments about Joel Embiid prior to that game. Yeah, I hate that team. I really wanted to win that game. Um, I think Embiid gets away with a bunch of crap the league ignores, and uh, it would have been a good one to just walk away from. So this is the guy who's the new Sixers assistant coach bashing the Sixers, bashing Joel Embiid, saying he hated the organization and he hated Embiid because he gets away with a lot of crap, as he called it. Yeah, I mean, because he, he usually does, um, you know, overwhelm Miles Turner. Right. So what happened that day, Mike? You guys, uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez organization was uh, booing Dan Burke during the game. Yeah, so we were booing two people, um, Malcolm Brogdon and Dan Burke. Right. And it was pretty funny just because the other 18,700 people had no idea why we were mad and who we were booing or why we were booing them. Well, this is the this is pretty funny because I, I before I came in, I wanted to get um, the rights to Ricky Sanchez crew, Spike and, Spike and Mike's uh, thoughts on the Maury hire. And they were saying that during that game, TJ McConnell was actually explaining to the Pacers bench why Dan Burke and, T and Malcolm Brogdon were getting booed during yeah, that Yes, uh, TJ 
met up with us at the bar after the game because you know it's New Year's Eve night, and um, right. I guess that part didn't matter. But uh, so he's there on stage, like just kind of talking to everyone, and he said everyone's confused why they're booing Brogdon, and he said, "Well, it's it's because they're upset Dario Sarge didn't win." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, so. Um, yeah, Dan Burke. It's gonna be. He's gonna have to mend that relationship with Joel Embiid uh, when he comes to Philadelphia. I think I saw Embiid already tweeted about it. Oh, did he? All right, I'll have to. I'll have to check that out. But uh, we'll give you an update on that during the break or after the break. And um, to end the show here, I, I got to get to this. I, I'm not getting to most of the stuff to talk about because there's just so much tonight. But um, Jerry Jones made an appearance on uh, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and gotten a bit of a confrontation with the host. So we'll play that uh, for you next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 